This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 258, Don't Do What Banks Tell You to Do With Your Money, with Kristen Kolka. Traditional financial planning is no longer working, and in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey there, financial revolutionaries, and welcome to this week's episode. I bet you everybody's got one of these, right? When I was a kid, I got stuck in a swimming pool and could not get to the surface. There was this large inflatable toy covering most of the surface of this pool that I was in. And I got stuck swimming underneath this heavy toy that I couldn't get to the top of. And I got stuck. I couldn't get to the edge of that toy and I couldn't find my way to air. Very quickly, things got extremely scary and I got very close to blacking out and almost drowning. Maybe you've had some experiences like that yourself. Really, it brings everything into perspective when you get that close to the void, the unknown. Now, why do I bring all that up? You'll see at the beginning of my discussion with Kristen Kolka, our guest for today, the life-changing moment was also almost a life-ending moment for her. And I just really want you to hear it from her first. So I won't give anything else away there, but just hang on and listen to Kristen's incredible life-changing story at the beginning of the episode. We also talk about how banks and the banking industry are now setting themselves up to benefit the shareholders and stockholders and other people at the very top of their organizations. They're not really there to benefit you and me, the consumer. And we talked some about how banks are able to acquire capital extremely cheaply. Think about that for a minute. When you put money, your money, hard-earned savings into a savings account or their money market accounts or CDs or other things that banks are telling you to do with your money, they're doing that on purpose, right? They're paying you pennies on the dollar. In fact, fractions of a penny, very cheap access to money uh, to get access to capital. And what do banks do with the money? Once they get that money deposited into their bank, they go ahead and turn around and lend it out at an interest rate many, many times more than they're paying you. And an old friend once told me, Mark, don't do what banks tell you to do with your money. Instead, watch what banks do with their money and go do that instead. So that's something that I think really can catch our attention. And if we really understand that concept, uh, it'll change not only your financial life, but your financial family tree as well. So who is our guest today? Well, it's Kristen Kolka. After starting her career in the banking industry, hint, hint, Kristen noticed that conventional financial wisdom was not working for many of her clients. Low interest rate environments combined with Wall Street volatility and a growing pile of debt made it almost impossible for her to plan or to create secure plans for retirement. Further complicating all of these issues were that financial experts and gurus and advisors that were just so quick to recommend one-size-fits-all solutions without fully understanding clients' goals and dreams. So Kristen's mission now is to create custom-tailored financial strategies for her clients that empower them to achieve true financial freedom. So guys, you're going to love this conversation with Kristen. I really enjoy talking with her each time we get a chance. She's very friendly, very approachable, and very intelligent and passionate about what she does. Uh, So you're going to get a ton of wisdom. I'll be around at the end for a few quick takeaways. For now, I'd love to introduce you to Kristen Kolka. (music) 
Kristen, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having me on. Glad to have you on. Okay, so I like to start my conversations with new guests. Even though you and I have known each other for years, I'd like to introduce you to our audience by just figuring out a bit about you. Okay. Maybe tell us a death-defying moment in your life. Could be a long time ago, could be just a few years ago. Tell us that story and maybe why it matters and why you know why you're here today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Mark. That's a great question. And actually about five years ago, I was in a head-on collision in my car. And as the driver, I got really the brunt of the impact. Um, so I was with my now fiance at the time and my daughter, and thank God they both walked away with very minimal injuries, but it did end me up in the hospital for about a week. I have some nice metal in my body that will be in there forever now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was one of those moments that you have in your life where you really start to think about your own mortality and what kind of legacy you want to leave behind because life can be over in a blink of an eye, right? right. One day you could be here, the next day you could not be here. Um, so it really just made me start thinking more seriously. I'm not that old. You know, at the time I was 33, 34 years old. You don't think about the end of life at that age, but it really did make me start thinking about my mortality and making sure that I'm leaving a legacy behind for my daughter and making sure she's taken care of and doing the things that I need to do for my family. So good. And it, I hope that one, that you continue to recover. It sounds like you've recovered well for the most yes. part. Is that right? Great. Yes. Great. Yeah. And hey, I've got a little um, metal pieces in my body too. I always wonder if I can like scan myself at Walmart or get the <laughs> thing at the airport when I'm going through the metal check. But um, you're right. There's a certain turn that happens at some point. We all are faced with that moment of realizing. And a lot of us, it was during the pandemic when we all sort of were faced with, well, what if it's me? Well, what if it's me? And right. I think there's some value to that. In fact, some people think that the meaning of life is the fact that we all are finite beings and we've got to figure out how to spend these precious days. So anyway, good on you for not wasting that tragedy, but hopefully using it for the good, for your family's good, for your daughter's good. So that's wonderful. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. What, what caused you to do what you do today? And first of all, describe what you do for our listeners. And then why are you doing what you're doing today? What's important about that to you? Yeah. So Mark, I am a financial strategist. Um, I work with the bank on yourself and infinite banking concepts as you, as you know, and I got into doing this about 10 or 11 years ago. I was working in banking at the time and really wanted to make a bigger impact on people in terms of their finances. Um, I didn't see what I was doing at the bank as necessarily helping people. It was more kind of getting them into this vicious cycle of trying to manage their cash flow through their banking accounts and dealing with fees if they messed up or trying to get qualified for a loan and dealing with the bank's terms in terms of paying those loans back. And so I went back to school to finish my finance degree. And at that time, I met Teresa Kuhn, who is the president and CEO of our company, Living Wealthy Financial. And she hired me on just to do some back-end planning for her. Wasn't necessarily meant to be in a sales position at that time, but I really learned about how money really works from her. And I learned about how financial institutions and banks have really been set up to 
benefit either, you know, their shareholders or their stockholders or the people at the very top. Mm -hmm. They're really not meant to benefit the consumer. And there was this product out there that was based around life insurance that really, if it was structured correctly, seemed to really solve a lot of problems that I saw people facing during my time at the bank. So I really grew to appreciate this product, love this product. Uh, Once I graduated with my finance degree, I decided, you know what, this is my calling. And even though I, I never saw myself as a salesperson, this is what I meant to do is to bring this solution to people and educate them on it. Fantastic. It's interesting too. And for folks that want to learn more about Teresa, she was uh, one of our first guests clear back in episode 56. So go back and listen to episode 56 if you want to hear Teresa describe the truth behind the Federal Reserve. And one thing I know about Teresa and I've learned about you, Kristen, is that you guys are pushing against the frontiers of ignorance, not just on the one-on-one conversations that you're having with clients, but in your own minds, you're always looking to grow and expand your horizons. Yes. And I really appreciate that about you, about Teresa. How has, as a nation, how has our financial mindset been changing as a nation, say over the last, oh, I don't know, 50 years? And what are the impacts and changes, ramifications of our our financial mindset as a country, would you say? Absolutely. You know, if you think about what people did 50 years ago or even 100 years ago, there was more of that savings mentality, especially when it came towards big ticket purchases. Financing really wasn't something that was on the front of people's minds. They had the kind of forefront to think about, let me save up for this big ticket purchase so I don't owe anyone anything. There was also more of a, you know, kind of a reliance on safety when it came to retirement. People had their pensions, they had money in their savings accounts. There really weren't these 401ks or these IRAs that were available for people to invest in. And around the 80s, there is that big shift that we saw away from pensions and towards the 401k. And I think at the same time, people really stopped worrying so much about saving and they felt more comfortable with financing big ticket items. And so taking on debt was not as big of a deal as it had been. So fast forward to today, we see people putting all of their money into the stock market right? We've been in this low interest rate environment for so long. It doesn't make sense to put money in a bank account. So you're investing money to chase that return. And the flip side of that is if you have an emergency, you have no option but to finance it, right? Or if you have a big ticket purchase, it's really become the norm to finance it and not save for it. Mm -hmm. So we have people where they used to have, you know, a nice chunk of liquidity, of safety, of guarantees. And now they have none of that. They have risk, they're beholden to finance companies, um, and they really don't have any emergency reserves. It's dramatic when I look back at the historical CD rates at the local bank. Now, only nerds like me would care enough to go back and look at historical yields on CDs from 1980s, but (laughs) right alongside me loving to watch old Ninja Turtle episodes, (laughs) I am checking out those old 1980s CD rates. And wouldn't you know, in May of 1981, you could earn about 18.3% on a CD. I was going to say, I bet it's close to 15%. Yeah. That was pretty close. You were. 18%. Wow. That's amazing. And and in 1984, it was like 12%. And then it starts to come down, right? It starts to come down. 
And now these days, we'd be happy to see a 1% or a 2% CD. Now, if you had 100 grand earning even 12% on that $100,000 in a CD, well, that's a thousand bucks a month right there right. of interest. If you got that same $100,000 in a 1% CD, that's not, that's 83 bucks a month. That's the difference. And you brought it up. You brought it up so well. And it's so true. We we all had to become a nation of speculators over the last several decades, right? Since uh, the 80s, since the advent of the 401k. Why should people keep their money in liquid accounts, though? You you really emphasize the need for liquidity, Kristen, in your efforts and your work with folks one-on-one. Liquidity is very important, it sounds like to you. But if interest rates are so low and inflation is up high right now, as we're recording this, why should people keep their money liquid? Doesn't that shoot them in the foot? Not necessarily. So when it comes to the economy, there's going to be ebbs and flows. Um, And right now we're seeing that ebb, right? Where the market is coming down, we're seeing the stock market crashing. At the same time, interest rates are coming up, not as quickly as they probably should. Um, But I think the Fed is trying to play this kind of balancing act of not raising rates too much, too quick to kind of throw us into a depression, but doing as much as they can to try to hold us off from the recession as long as possible. But inflation is definitely becoming an issue for people. So why is it important to have liquidity? Well, if someone had asked me, you know, two or three years ago, why not put my money in the stock market? It's growing like crazy. Why not capture that? Where would they be today? As the stock market's crashing, inflation is rising, their money is tied up in that 401k or IRA, they can't access it. Their net worth is dropping and they don't have the liquidity to cover the increasing costs that they're experiencing. And so again, you know, that's where the financing comes in. People are having to put more things on their credit cards. But the flip side of that is not necessarily just having that cash to cover your rising expenses. It's also as the market comes down, right, there's going to be opportunities. And so you need to have that cash available to sweep in and take advantage of those opportunities. That makes a lot of sense. It's those sitting on the liquid bucket that's going to be able to take advantage of those opportunities when they come up. That makes great sense. Now, you mentioned earlier that you worked at a bank. And yes. you know, I would just love to know from your perspective, uh, working in that field, what's something that most people don't understand about how banks work and how you believe maybe that they might be taking advantage of consumers? Well, so I think a lot of people don't think about the fact that banks are able to acquire capital really cheaply, right? You put your money into their savings accounts, into their money market accounts, their CDs, their checking accounts. And what is the interest rate that you're getting on that cash that's sitting there? You know, it's closer to 1% today, but in the past 10 years or so, it's been less than that. You know, most people weren't even getting a half a percent on their cash. And what do banks get to do with that money that's sitting inside of your bank account? They get to turn around and lend that out at an interest rate many, many, many times more than what they're paying you to keep your money with them. So people don't seem to realize that they're being taken advantage of, they're lending money to the bank at very low interest rates and borrowing it back at very high interest rates. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I have this image in my mind. Let's say, Kristen, that you have 10 grand in your pocket and you walk into the bank and you put that $10,000 in your savings deposit and you get a whopping 1% for your hard-earned savings. And I'm right behind you in line. So right after you make your deposit, I walk up to the teller and I ask for a bank loan for $10,000. Most of the banks these days are allowed to loan out virtually all, if not all. During the pandemic, it was all of our deposits could be loaned out. Generally, it's about 90% of our deposits can be loaned out. So I'm the guy behind you in line, Kristen, right after you made that deposit and I ask for that loan and they're going to pay you 1% and they're going to charge me, let's just say 10% for your money, right? How much <laughs> exactly. How much money was the bank putting into that deal? Right. Nothing. Not, nothing. I mean, that we call that infinite returns around here, right? Exactly. And it's then, a great, great uh, business model for the bank. <laughs> oh, it's it's crazy. Now, is are there any, do you happen to have any crazy stories about this from your days in the bank, things that you've seen in, or either that or in your business now as a financial strategist, anything that uh, you've seen that sort of just puts the pin on this point? Not necessarily from my days at the bank, but definitely today using the financial vehicle that we use, the bank on yourself concept. It's really cool to see people be able to really take control of that system and make it work in their favor. Um, so I have a lot of clients that work in real estate and they're doing hard money lending, right? They're borrowing out their own money to investors at 10%, 15%. Um, and so they get to really be the bank in that scenario. And Kristen, do you mind just sort of telling us how that works? What is hard money lending? A hard money lending is, is basically peer-to-peer -peer lending where one person is just lending capital to another person. So I'm a real estate investor. And I need a loan. So I go to Kristen and Kristen, you give me your money rather than me going to a bank. It's just peer to peer. And exactly. I might not be lendable to a banker, but I might be a risk you'd be willing to take for your money. And so you charge a higher interest rate for that, uh, for that higher risk. Is that generally how that works? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And so your clients are are the hard money lenders. They are the banker, not just they're not just banking on themselves. They're not just bank on yourself. They're bank on everybody else too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. So that's great. And yes, so they have their policies. Talk us through like step by step. What do they do to be in the hard money sp space, and how do they use their policy? Like functionally, what are the steps they take to actually do that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first step is to capitalize their policy. Um, so okay. essentially, you know, starting a whole life insurance policy and uh, putting premiums in to accumulate the cash value portion of the policy. And then once there's enough cash value accumulated there, very simply, they borrow against their own policy. They have that cash back in their hands that they can use for really whatever they'd like to use it for. So in this scenario, they're borrowing money from their policy to lend to another person. And then because they're borrowing their own money, they get to control how that money is paid back to the policy. Um, so they're not on a repayment schedule with the insurance company. They can really set the terms of, you know, number one, the loan that I'm making to my peer, and number two, how I'm paying back the loan that I just took against my policy. Thank you for that. Now, you mentioned inflation earlier, and Everybody who is anybody right now who has turned on a TV or radio in the last eight months is hearing that I word, inflation. How about whole life insurance? 
how does Bank on Yourself protect us against the ravages of inflation? How does it even give us some opportunities, maybe? You have your cash sitting someplace where it's liquid, it's safe, it's guaranteed. Uh, it's available to borrow against when those opportunities arise. And you have very much control over how you pay that policy back. Um, but in terms of how the uh, money grows in comparison to inflation, we've seen historically that as inflation goes up, bond yields also go up. And the insurance companies that we use for Bank on Yourself are mostly invested in AAA-rated corporate bonds. And so their returns in their portfolio tend to increase as inflation increases. And so they're able to keep up with inflation by increasing their dividend interest rates. The other way that people benefit from having a whole life insurance policy when inflation's on the rise is the cost of their death benefits fixed. Um, so they're paying for this death benefit cheaper dollars, essentially, right? Oh, that's, yeah, that's remarkable. You're right. Most people don't realize that the price of everything in the world is going up. Toilet paper, groceries, gas, but your whole life premium stays flat. It stays level. Right. Which is remarkable when compared to other options like other cash value life insurance that might have an increasing premium like universal life insurance and other non-cash value policies like term insurance would have. So yeah, you're right. That's a remarkable benefit. And you know, it's really important that folks understand that this is not just some magic frou-frou nothing. There's a, there's a massive amount of, as you said, AAA corporate investment grade corporate bonds that are integrated into the overall general fund of this insurance company. So a lot of people I've met with, and Kristen, I'd love to know your thoughts on this. They'll say, well, I can't do bank on yourself type whole life. Interest rates are so low. I can't see my yield high enough to really make it worthwhile in these low interest rate worlds. Well, now we're in a high interest rate world and people are concerned about whole life insurance because of higher interest rates and bond yields crashing and so forth. So it, it's like they can't have both. They can't have right. the trouble of low interest rates, can't do bank on yourself, and now high interest rates can't do bank on yourself. I'm actually cheering on at least a return to modestly high interest rates for the reasons mm -hmm. you just said. Could you give us a forecast as best you can see? No one's got a crystal ball, Kristen, but can you give us a crystal ball as best you can, a murky one anyway, of how bank on yourself might perform? If interest rates stay high, what would happen to your policies and to your clients? What would happen there? Yeah, absolutely. So in general, we would expect that dividend interest rates would increase in a high interest rate environment. And so you would expect your returns on your bank on yourself policies cash value to increase as well. That's really good news. And I agree with you, Mark. I, I think I'm cheering on the higher interest rates also. Um, I'm hoping that people adjust to them accordingly and start shifting into that savings mindset as we have the ability to have safe money at better interest rates. There are a lot of people who really push you to get into real estate and to forget this old boring savings stuff and just go get into real estate and put all your money in my real estate fund and hey, don't worry about it. Uh, saving is for suckers and that sort of thing. I totally disagree. And I think. If you ask them in private, even these real estate gurus would also not follow their own advice. Why do I believe that? Because they had to get money somewhere to buy their properties. And that money comes from 
opportunity funds like cash, buckets of cash. And in fact, I can tell you for sure because I know the insurance agents who set them up for these particular gurus uh, whose last names <laughs> I'll just say <laughs> rhyme with Piyasaki and uh, <laughs> Sardone. I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> I know the insurance agents who set up their whole life policies for these folks. And so when they tell you not to put money into savings, like one in particular I'm thinking of, I know that they're selling their fund. And that's too bad for the average American who will listen to them. Yeah. Um, because you got to be a saver first before you take risk. Can you speak to that? What's important about saving before taking the risk, Kristen? What does that do for folks when it comes to investment returns and the sequence of returns as well? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so the first thing I would say, you know, is that when you're listening to any kind of financial guru, always follow the money. Um, and think about in terms of the advice that they're giving, you know, who is it ultimately benefiting and really dissect the advice that they're giving to you, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. But as far as having that safe money before you're investing, you have a safety net to fall back on, right? Because when you're investing, what are you doing? You're essentially taking on risk. And in the event that that investment does not perform in a way that we would hope that it would, you're going to have to fall back on some kind of safety net, some kind of guaranteed liquid cash that you can draw from to get you through that rough time. Otherwise, you see people, you know, trying to sell investments, especially real estate at much lower prices than they'd like to, uh, not generating the profit that they would have liked to because they're not able to continue to manage the cost of the investment. So having that money set aside for those emergency expenses for the years where we have COVID and people aren't paying their rents or you have to replace AC units uh, in a bunch of apartment buildings or replace roofs or whatever else happens, you need to have that money that you can access on your terms in a safe and liquid manner. But it's also going to create more opportunities. Cash is king. I really believe that. And if you have the cash and the ability to invest, you're just going to attract investors to you, right? You're going to attract opportunities to you. Um, I think, you know, you go out into the world with that energy of, I'm capitalized well enough where I can take advantage of opportunities and people almost smell it on you. You're exactly right, Kristen. Okay, so as we wrap up, I want to ask, you know, I think part of the biggest, maybe the biggest step in the financial journey is choosing the right financial tools to help you along the way. If I'm going to climb a mountain, I need the right things in my backpack or I'm going to die. Just plain and simple. I won't make mm -hmm. it if I don't have the right tools and resources. So I want you to help us know what are the hidden pitfalls with choosing a financial tool or a set of tools? that you believe prevents people from succeeding? Yeah, absolutely. It's not necessarily about having just one tool in your tool belt. I think it's about having multiple tools in your tool belt. As you climb a mountain, you have to have a certain set of tools. And as you get down the mountain, you have to have a certain set of tools as well. So I'm not, you know, against having investments as one of the tools in your toolbox. I'm not against having real estate as one of the tools in your toolbox, but I am for having tools that give you that safety, those guarantees and those, that liquidity. You asked me earlier about sequence of returns. It's wonderful if when you retire, the market is up 
and you're getting, you know, you're pulling money out of your retirement accounts, but you're getting gains every single year, that's replacing what you're taking out. But if you start retirement and the market is down and you're pulling out money while you're also incurring losses, that's setting you up for failure long-term. Having something that can give you the cash flow that you need uh, during the years that the market is down so that you don't have to pull from your investment accounts so that you can give the account time to recover is really the key to making sure that you have a successful retirement, that you're not outliving your money and that you're able to get down the mountain safely. That's so good. Yeah, the tools that got you here won't get you there because we're moving into an unknown future. But I'm curious, there's a lot of people who just fall into their 401k or fall into their brokerage account or buy crypto because their uncle or their cousin told them to. How do people get into those traps that prevent them from succeeding? How do they find the tool that they need for this stage in the journey? What do they do? What, what questions should they be asking? What do you help them with to, to make sure that they're thinking critically about what they need and not just what CNBC told them to go out and invest in? Yeah, you know, I think that one thing that people are really lacking these days is having that conversation with themselves and their significant other about financial planning and what their rules are and what their values are when it comes to money. And there's definitely some questions that you need to ask yourself. You know, what is the amount of risk that I'm willing to take on? What is the amount of money that I'm willing to lose? Uh, what is the rate of return that I expect to get that would justify this risk that I'm taking? And does this investment provide that or, or can it guarantee that? So you definitely need to have that conversation with yourself. You know, if you need to reach out to someone, a financial strategist that can help you through that conversation, help you through those questions. And once you know what your values are, what your rules are around money, it makes choosing the financial products that fit into that much easier because you know what you're looking for. You know the attributes of the financial product that fits into what your values are and your goals and objectives. So that's what I would say. I think a lot of people, they hear about people becoming millionaires in the market, billionaires in the crypto market, and they, you know, I don't want to say they're overtaken by greed in a bad way, but greed is a human emotion. And so they're chasing that kind of fairy tale dream. And they need to understand that that's like getting a winning lottery ticket. Mm. Uh, we can't pin our future on winning the lottery. We can buy a lottery ticket just for fun, but we need to also be planning in a more realistic way. Thank you, Kristen. This has been really helpful. It gives me a sense and a courage to to know that there's good people like you out there who are thinking critically with folks, helping them understand the big picture in their financial life. Because too often, I think folks are just handed that one size fits all. But you've really given us uh, some reminders that just because it's cool at school doesn't mean you need to grab that 401k or grab that brokerage account or that crypto just because it's uh, cool at school. It doesn't mean it's for you. I really believe that the people who work with you, Kristen, are going to be in a better place financially, and they're going to be ready to leave a legacy, not just live a life, but live a truly abundant life and a great legacy as well. So you guys truly are helping folks live wealthy 
there, Kristen. So thank you for your time today. How can folks find you? How can folks work with you? How can folks reach out and get to know you better? Yeah, absolutely. If any of your listeners would like to have a chat with me, you can go to learnmorewithkristin.com. And that's Kristen spelled K-R-I-S-T-I-N. Awesome. Thank you, Kristen, for your time and keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Mark. It was my pleasure. Thank you again, Kristen, for coming on the show. Of all the things that she and I got to talk about, guys, one of the big takeaways was this idea that most financial planners, quote unquote, financial planners are really just simple retirement riskers. That's sort of a weird word to say, but retirement riskers, they're monomaniacally focused on putting your retirement money at risk in the market. That's what they do. And and some of them are really good at it, right? Some not so good, but that's what their focus is. And they call themselves financial planners, but really they're just retirement riskers. They're not really doing a real financial plan for most clients. There's no game plan for your entire life. The money is just there for retirement. So, hey, live on rice and beans and cat food, and we'll take as much as we can, put your assets under our management, and hopefully, prayerfully, you'll get to retirement someday. That's not a financial plan. That's retirement risking. So Kristen and I talked quite a bit about how to purchase big ticket items. If you think about it, more of your financial life is built around these major purchases, the cars, the vacations, the home repairs, the business equipment, the kids' college fund. And also retirement, right? It's not just monomaniacally focused on one singular issue. It's all of your life. Forgive the pun, but it's your whole life. And in fact, I would even say that how you buy your cars is actually more important and will help you in your financial life more than how you did on your index funds in your 401k last year. Just not that important, not that interesting. But how you bought your cars and vacations and other things is going to dramatically impact your overall financial success or failure. So that was a big takeaway that most financial planners, gurus, advisors, whatever, are really just risking our retirement and that's what they're good at or not so good at as the case may be. The other piece was that we talked about where things might be headed. If interest rates rise or and continue to rise, what impact might that have on dividend paying whole life insurance like bank on yourself type policies? And both of us were unwilling to accept the oh-so-average advice from real estate gurus, stock market jockeys, telling us to just keep putting our money into riskier and riskier investments to try to keep up with this inflation beast. Don't listen to what gurus are telling you to do with your money. Once again, just like banks, don't listen to what the gurus tell you to do. Instead, watch what they do with their own money and go do that instead. A good friend of mine once said, Mark, before you pick a financial planner, this is before I got in the business, but they said, hey, Ask them what they're doing with their money. Show me your portfolio, Mr. Financial Planner. What are you doing with your money? And then just go do that instead, right? Let's get this under our control. Let's drive this train. It's your financial life. No one should care more about it than you do. Thank you, Kristen. What a great interview. Thank you for the time you spent. Thank you, everybody, for listening and contributing on our membership site. If you didn't know that we had a membership site, now's your chance to join. It's a free conversation. It's a way to keep the conversation going. Rather than it just being a one-sided deal from me to you, this is a way for you to throw your ideas back at us and give us your insights and what's next and what we're going to do in the weeks and months ahead. In fact, we've got some exciting events coming up at the end of September. We're going to tell you more about that in the weeks to come. We're going to be talking more about an upcoming summit that you can attend. So keep your ears out next week for more detail on that. 
But until then, thank you everyone for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.